Hey guys, Christopher Sweat here from a rant, as you've probably grown accustomed to. Really amazing guest uh, here today with me, uh, Karen. And Karen, <laughs> we're going to pronounce your last name for everyone, okay? So I would say Tatarian, but how would you say it? Well, I pronounce it the French way, so Tatarian, but uh, Tatarian works as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Um, so, Karen, I think um, the reason that I reached out to you for this conversation is I'm really interested to hear about your experience in robotics and, and maybe how you even um, kind of stepped into that uh, career, that kind of studying, that kind of research. And uh, I have friends that um, are in robotics in different ways, uh, but not as often are they like experimenting or developing more of like sales engineers, um, you know, that are installing a, a robot at a manufacturing facility, which um, I'm, sure they're, I'm sure you're looking at or doing a, a lot more than that. But maybe where we could start this just to break our discussion in is, um, you could maybe you could give us a little bit of context for the audience on your background and what you're doing in robotics in general. Yeah, sure. Um, so right now I'm a robotics engineer at SoftBank Robotics, and I'm also finishing my PhD. So my defense is actually next week. So I'm finishing my PhD on that on human robot interaction and machine learning. Um, so what brought me into kind of my journey into robotics, I would say it's always been just my curiosity. Um, I've just been following that. So um, it hasn't always been a straight path. Uh, so for instance, when I was 18 and I had to pick a major, I just had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And I was just, I loved math and I loved physics and that was it. And nothing else was interesting for me. So I, I went into physics. I did my undergraduate in that, and then I started um, loving, I, I took computer science classes and engineering classes, and I started loving that as well, um, which led me into uh, mechanical engineering. So I did both physics and mechanical engineering, and uh, I worked there. I started working on really robotics, and um, it was my first uh, look into it, um, which is... Um, different than what I do now. So when I started, I really was looking more at building robots. So it was more at the mechatronics level. So I was like actually like 3D printing parts, like welding the circuits together, um, you know, even coding at uh, what we call like low level at the operating system. So it was really cool because um, I got to work on different types of robots. And um, then I wanted to move more into that and uh, I started uh, and I love traveling. So I started traveling for internships to do that. And I got to build my first robot uh, from scratch in 2017, I would say. And I called it Lucia. I don't know why I called it that name, but that was the name that came to mind. <laughs> and Lucia. So I was like inspired by, I think at the time there was the, the, the movie Lucy of like super intelligent human. And I, I just got inspired by that. And I, I really designed it myself. I 3D printed it. I, all the motors that were all the sensors, that was all me. 
And um, that was my first dive into looking also at artificial intelligence because I had to make my robot, you know, smart. Um, and there was um, in Portugal a local competition of like robots escaping mazes and patrolling areas. And I ended up winning at that. So I went more and more into it. And then I worked more on robots, um, drones mostly and uh, arm robots. Um, so it was like also designing um um, looking into uh, usually the arm robots are those you see in industry but on a bigger scale um, so the math is kind of the same and the engineering as well um, but then but then I was like uh, okay this is all cool from an engineering perspective and then um, the question was like what happens when I bring a human in because so far I haven't really done with dealt with humans sorry so it's just been like oh my drone flies my if i if i blew wind it can readjust its position that's cool and uh, my robot can move and it can do things on its own but then i was like okay what happens when i bring in the human i don't know like i want i do envision a world where uh, robots will be companions of humans and so i was very interested of making sure that um this interaction I wanted to understand it better and I wanted to build robots for that. And that kind of what prompted me um, to go for SoftBank uh, Robotics because um, they work uh, on the most commercialized um, social robot, which is if you've seen them, they're small now and small pepper and they're made to be placed in environments where you, the humans interacting with them. And, um, and then I got also the opportunity to do my PhD as well within that. Um, so this is where I am now, and this has been my path um, towards <laughs> robotics. So now what's more interesting is that um, I in robot interaction, so I look at how the robot should adapt its behavior um, to humans' behaviors and human social, social cues, and how does that, you know, fit in, and how can I use machine learning to do that, and so... Yeah, it's been, it's more interdisciplinary, I would say. But yeah, it's been an adventure because bringing in the human changed the entire, you know, equation. So oh, interesting. And um, yeah. so like for me, um, I would still consider myself a technologist, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a developer. So it's more about like uh, orchestrating like enterprise software environments. But, mm -hmm. but a lot more of my time gets spent with... Um, uh, philosophy and politics, economics, those are the things that I'm so much uh, more capable about uh, considering versus like uh, hard math or, uh, you know, upper level math, yeah. computer science. Um, so like when you're, you know, printing a, a part of a robot, I, I'd assume going the creation of the robot, like, uh, like software development or uh, software development or, um, you know, coding or uh, mm -hmm. computer chips, like, like what is the composition of a robot that, you know, can detect something in its, in its environment? Are there different sensors or? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, if we're going to start really, uh, from the scratch of just building uh, robot parts, um, you know, some parts, sometimes when we're designing prototypes, let's say do 3D, let's say if we're talking about the hardware and the design, um, 
but I would say first coding is um, probably the design, even though it's uh, it gets you know developed more and more as we go. And um, when it comes to designing specific uh, robots, we're looking into robots or um, such robots. I'm trying not to be technical, but we go into what we call like kinematics and so the math models to make sure that you're giving appropriate degrees of freedom um, to the moving. And then if we're looking at the sensors, for instance, um, then it will depend, like for example, the sensors we use to detect humans, then we start looking at LIDARs and then software just to connect to speak to the sensors and then we write higher level software which is like okay we've connected we can read I can read from the sensor and then what does it mean so adding a level of understanding or perception to it and then another level of like okay how can I learn from the environment so I don't know if I, I exactly answered the question but just to say that it's it's really like there are so many types of software and so many levels of it that go that go into that. I see that. And you brought up um, machine learning earlier. Is that something mm -hmm. that you also have to be skilled? Um, to do robotics, I, well, I wouldn't say necessarily. Um, so for instance, I'm more on the software side of um, robotics, which is why I use machine learning to, because to stay up to date on the state of the art of robots. But for instance, those who work on the hardware or um, sensors, let's say, or the design of the robot, um, not necessarily. And also now interesting enough is that uh, since you brought up, um, you know, the philosophy side of it, um, now in robotics and in many robotics company, we start seeing um, psychologists or and even user experience designers, which is nice to see. So it brings more into diversity of things. So to be an engineer to really go into robotics, if that's something someone is interested in, um, because as these robots are becoming more and present in homes or, you know, in big industries and manufacturing places, you need to design them to be user friendly and you need to design them making sure that you're taking it centered around the user and uh, making sure they the user can understand how to work with such a robot. So I, I've also worked with psychologists, for instance, on certain projects. I've learned a lot from this uh, this. Uh, interdisciplinary work let's say because when I first started it was like okay I'm coming in like more like okay problem solution you know I do this I code this and then coming working with uh, people from different fields it's interesting because their approach is totally different but that's what's interesting about uh, you know the as robots are you know evolving and we're changing the directions of where we're seeing them you're um when you reference uh, the different approaches, is it just like a like a different specialization or just a different way of looking at the robotic? Mm, I would say um, maybe a bit both, um, because I mean, I think people don't know or maybe don't realize that is extremely interdisciplinary as well I think I've said this uh, right now but um, it it depends so because we're working with so many different types of sensors so you could be someone who's um, who comes from computer vision 
you're specialized in just understanding images or um, detecting faces, etc., or even face facial expressions or emotions, and that's a certain way to look at. Uh, that's a, a contributor to our lives, and then there are those who are just uh, specialized on the mobility part, like um, you know, making sure the robot can. Nap. And these are, for example, very, very close to um, the work that's being done on autonomous vehicles because that's not very different. So you'll see a lot of times that in robotics, closely with companies like BMW, they have a big robotics um, department, obviously Tesla, etc. Um, and so this is what I mean, is that we're focusing on different layers. And then you will see people who work on um, natural language processing, which is completely different. So they're focusing more on designing conversations um, with, with the robots. Um, so yeah, there are different approaches. And of course, uh, you can be interested, let's say, in only uh, um, understanding how can the robot... And that's... a uh, that's kind of an approach on its own and also needed. So I don't, I'm trying uh, to stay like uh, to clarify what I mean, but what I'm trying to say sure. is that no matter your interest or what your background may be, there's a place, um, there's a place for that in robotics. And so that's, that's, that's what I love about it. Looking at like um, the software end of things, does that mean that you have to like make all of these kind of systems talk to each other or process different like elements of information that's coming off of sensors or like what does um what does you know the software consist of like just on a basic level um so yeah obviously they need to um, communicate with each other just like any other type of the um, so that's why, yeah, for instance, um, mostly you will see people who work on what we call more low-level coding. So they're the ones that are making sure that you can use the sensors, you can read the sensors, and the sensors are giving you something that makes sense. And then um, you take that and you build on top of it. Um, okay, I, I can see, thank you for giving me, like, let's say, the ability to read the sensors. And so now I need to make sense of what that means and then to plan the next action, etc. So in a way, yeah, they do all come together um, and they're built on top of each other and sometimes in parallel uh, to one another. Like, um, are there like big challenges in robotics that you think about or like any headwinds that are potentially holding back certain parts of the, the industry that, you know, you consider? Yeah. yeah, so I think two, two parts of it. The first is that um, we've seen, we live right now in this, uh, this time where software is like on a rocket, you know, it's uh, with software, it's easy to build, to deploy. Um, there's still a hardware to consider and there's a cost to it. So companies, uh, there's a lot of cost to put into building the actual equipment, um, as well as um, the hardware in general can be very limiting. So um, small things like uh, the, whether the sensors are powerful enough and where do you place that, etc. So I would say um, it lim is, can be limiting, but I think we're, we're moving beyond that. I've seen a lot of improvements in the robots um, that are currently present in the past five years. 
And the second one is um, humans <laughs> bringing in, not the human is the problem, but bringing in the human and making sure that you we can ethically and properly uh, interact with the humans that we're working in, um, working with, sorry. Um, I think those two may be, uh, may be the current challenges that we, that we have at the moment. And so um, there's hardware considerations and then obviously some of the ethical challenges or constraints. Mm -hmm. What are like, just on a basic level, um, mm -hmm. just assume I'm completely ignorant about this because I am. What are some of the applications or like use cases that um, excite you or that you pay attention to these days? Oh, wow, in uh, robotics. Okay, so many of those. Um, I think um, for me personally, I'm I'm excited about. Okay, let's see. First, autonomous. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of them. Um, it's really cool what's happening, and also uh, what's nice is that we're we're moving to more imagining what an autonomous car would look like for the user. Um, so before we were focusing more on the problem, which is making sure the drive can the car can drive, you know, autonomously without the human. And now the the work is moving towards okay, let's say there's a human inside. How can we make the the car intelligent enough for it to adapt to the users? Um, and so imagining those types of uh, futuristic cars are is really interesting. There's a lot of work by other companies that look, for example, at uh, the attention, whether the human is paying attention while driving or not, or uh, for instance, you know, we see Alexa or uh, start entering the cars, for example, that's cool. Um, Boston Dynamics is always doing cool stuff, that's for sure. So uh, really interested to see the work they're doing. So now we're seeing more robots moving into the field. So actually working side by side with humans in places where it's too dangerous to send a human. Um, so it's nice to see this uh, being put finally to application. And um, third, I would say is that, um, so a uh, few people know this, I think, but um, when in the field of human-robot interaction, it's extremely close to uh, human-computer interaction, of course, so we work a lot with also people who design video games or virtual agents, etc. And because how humans and technology in general is changing. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see that now as we're moving, to, we're talking a lot about, let's say, the metaverse, but also we're talking about bringing more robots inside the home with iRobot, etc. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in that, like what kind of application would we imagine? And uh, like um, Amazon's new robot also is made for um, house use. So having a robot with a screen at home, what that would look like, what uh, would it be in, connected to the entire house? Would there be specific applications for it? So I'm curi really curious to see that because it's finally like we're like sci-fi uh, having a robot at home. Um, but now it's like we're moving, we're getting there. We already have like, I, we have Roombas at home. We have Alexa at home. We have Google Home. Um, and now we're going to see more and more of that. So I'm curious to, to know what, uh, what that would look like. Fascinating. When, just to come back to like the ethics piece, when we think about ethics in robotics, are we thinking about the like decisions that the robot makes or the 
you know, like different ways that it could navigate uh, the real world, I guess you could say? Mm. Uh, the ethical considerations are powerful. Um, uh, of course, the decisions being made by the user, um, that's important. And also, um, data that we collect while the robot is learning. So um, that's always important to take into account uh, in general, because like, where are you storing this data? What, what data do we need? That's also important um, to consider. The decisions, definitely. So that's, that's a huge one. Um, what the robot can do, what the robot can suggest. And um, yeah, when you mentioned navigation, yeah, for sure. So when the robot is navigating in an environment that has human, the safety of the human is extremely important. And so that's why we're moving um, instead of designing, you see a lot of people instead of designing fully autonomous robots, uh, they, they look into um, semi-autonomous and leave the other half to the human. So making sure there's a strong human uh, whether in manufacturing or warehouses, etc., to make sure that the human still has a say and to make sure that the human can also teach um, this robot how to adapt to it and to adapt to any changes that may happen or if you need to teach it something new. So those are important factors, uh, you know, we consider uh, when designing these robots. And I'm, I'm glad to see that there's more and more talk about ethics in robotics in general. Um, so that's, so that's really nice. And, um, uh, for me, I've also like ethics is a big part of what we do because I work, um, on designing, uh, features for, for robots, but for humans, um, we, I've had like training in ethics since, you know, since the very start and we, we see it more and more being taken into account, of course. Are the, um, are the ethics discussions like theoretical or philosophical or are they more practical that would depend on the country so that would really strongly depend on the country like for instance in europe it's totally practical because the european sorry the european union imposes like the gdpr law which um, limits the type of data that you can connect uh, collect sorry and under which circumstances and now like uh, the european union is amongst the first design laws that are very specific to AI. Um, so that's interesting to see. Um, countries, uh, some data collection uh, laws are different. So it, it really depends on what you are in. Interesting too, I think, um, like say, let's just pretend that I have a, a pessimistic view. It may not actually be true, but just for the structure of what I'm about to say. So, like, let's pretend that, uh, like, in the States, for example, I don't believe that cars will be fully autonomous anytime soon and that we'll be able to scale that uh, onto our roadways. What I think people forget, and Karen, let me know what you think about this, but, like, um, I remember when Volvo integrated a pedestrian sensor into the front of their car, and it was probably, like, 12 or 13 years ago. And the, uh, the pedestrian sensor, you know, I think it prevented, it, the car would uh, f intervene and it would stop the car at 40 miles an hour or less uh, if, there, what, if it sensed a pedestrian. 
right? Just, you know, mm. I think that got trivialized over time. Or like I think about the way that my car manages um, stability control and traction control and the way that the car is able to redistribute the power, you know, based on probably a number of uh, uh, pieces of data that are, you know, flowing into that system. Would you agree that like, even if we don't have fully autonomous cars, say five years from now, the, the, the reach for this fully autonomous cars creating a lot of innovation just in general, like new options or opportunities to, to better from a robotics perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, like, for instance, autonomous driving isn't a new engineering problem. It's been linked like for more than 40 years now, people have been working on it, you know, um, before it was just a, what we call a control problem. Uh, so it was math models that didn't include, let's say, a machine learning or AI. And even then you were able to do it. So um, we adjust the speed, uh, adapt environmental changes, etc. And then came in machine learning and then we started doing better and then came in, you know, sensors that are better sensors, uh, better equipments and then came cameras. in. so we kept like, you know, over the years, it kept improving. And um, I, I think five years we will have a fully autonomous car and as i said because one of the challenges is is maybe not on the engineering side but mostly on the human side and as i said when you start bringing in the robot into an environment that has humans and a human safety it needs to be considered it's a totally different uh, situation you know for sure today if you have an autonomous car in in the very um, structured environment and you know when uh, you know, you have the map of the place, you know, where the pedestrian and you know where the lights are. Yeah, sure, it, the car will do great. But then what if you bring it into the real world and somebody jumps from the sidewalk or jaywalks or, uh, you know, then what starts happening? And, and we cannot really mathematically model human behavior. You can't predict it. And uh, for the human safety, I think that's why we wouldn't be seeing such fully autonomous uh, robots anytime soon. Um, until we we learn how to have a balance between um, autonomous, but also making sure that uh, the driver um, is, let's say, uh, still has full control over the car if needed in the case of emergency or in case of certain. Um, and I think that's why we're moving into seeing some people, um, some companies, sorry, looking into, okay, at which point should it be autonomous? At which point should it not be? Uh, that's why we're looking also uh, looking into, as I said, uh, detection of the level of fatigue of the driver or alcohol consumption or whether the, the driver is paying attention on the road. So with such technologies being um, in a lot and a lot of startups giving such solutions yeah definitely we're more improving the case of uh, reaching the semi-autonomous robot but definitely yeah it's been, uh, as i said it's been an engineering challenge for so long that definitely over the years it has brought in so many new innovations and new considerations and uh, yeah, that have been applied to and used in different types of applications as well. Like, um, I feel like robotics is definitely becoming a larger part of just the, I don't know, common discussion 
that's happening out in the world. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on like why it's becoming a more popular discussion? Is do you think robots are becoming more pervasive? Do you think the research is getting funded better? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, I think why it's gaining more attention is a lot of okay. So I there are a lot of elements to that. I would say first of all, if we look at warehouses and manufacturing places, so obviously there are a lot of jobs that you know today humans don't want to do, and uh, you don't want to have a human do that. So the, especially jobs that are very uh, repetitive, that are very uh, tiring for the human's body and not necessarily good for our well-being um where you or these these type of places we see robots more and more being brought in and um especially today if you enter a warehouse you will see a robot navigating and moving uh, objects from one place to another you will see robots sorting you will see big arms moving and manufacturing the cars and that's gaining more attention uh, because more of that is happening. And now, especially since we hear a lot of people, um, you know, saying, oh, I lost my job to robots. I, w I, I think there's just a, a shift in, in the job market and um, in the skills that are needed or wanted. But that's another issue. And I think the second point of why we're paying attention more uh, to robots now is that they started entering our homes, you know, like... Um, Five years ago, you had a vacuum that you yourself would like move and do. And today now you have a, a Roomba that maybe some people have that. And so it's just a robot that navigates. Today, a lot of people have Alexa, you know, where you talk to Alexa or you talk to your Google Home. And that's also a type of, you know, robotics application. So we see more of that starting to enter. We talk now more about autonomous cars. So definitely that's gaining attention. We see people are... Um, you like camera drones, even though now they're used more like uh, you see a lot of people who are into photography, they have drones, but before it wasn't that accessible to see. Um, so I think this is why robots are gaining more attention, I think, because they're moving in now faster, establishing kind of their place and they're entering our homes. Once they enter your home, you start definitely noticing that. And I think people have adapted to it a lot because we start to expect things to be intelligent and we certain uh, autonomous to a certain extent or uh you know i have people who friends who tell me ah i want a robot that cooks and now we see like uh, you know some places where they do are they are looking into having a robot that makes pizza which is a which if you follow the rest will give you that product so we see uh, robots we start imagining more and more what type of robots we want definitely so even kids nowadays uh, we work a lot with uh, schools here in Europe where we see robots being placed in schools especially the small ones for educational purposes because as I said with the shift of skills needed we need also a shift in the educational system make way for that so now we see kids more working with small robots to bigger robots um, on what we call computational skills so computational way of thinking and sometimes they're coding the robot sometimes they're interacting with the robot and so yeah, this mind shift change and especially with younger generations it's moving much faster like we see kids already know how to code and back then I didn't I wish I knew, you know, I wish when I was 12, they told me, ah, oh, there's a coding class, but I didn't have that. And so in general, I think uh, as technology is uh, 
you know, evolving and moving at a much faster pace than we've imagined. And as noticing that, okay, our car is getting smarter. I have a robot at home. I, um, you know, there are a lot of things happening. I think that's why we're talking more and more about it. But it, it just moves at a way slower pace than I think software, as I said before, because there's hardware considerations as well. So it just, it's moving at a pace, but uh, it's getting there, yeah. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, hardware still has a long way to go for whatever reason. And then, like you were saying earlier, it's just much more expensive to uh, build hardware and iterate on hardware than it is software. Because um, with software, what do you need? Some human capital and some code. Uh, but hardware, I mean, the manufacturing process. I'm sure, like, when you're, have you done um, uh, much work lately? on hardware or have you kind of thought about why it is so challenging to um, experiment on that side outside of like uh, capital constraints, but like, like what is the hardware process like when you see like very early stage versions of robots? Um, yeah. So I think I wouldn't be the, Maybe, maybe I maybe I'm speaking more from my limited interaction with hardware. Of course, uh, I'm sure maybe other people who have more experience in it have a different answer. Um, since uh, I would say when we when we talk about hardware, like for the robots I've worked on, one challenge is sometimes the design um, of the robot. So we're making sure that the sensors are placed in a place somewhere where you can optimize its usage the most. And if you end up like, um, you know, you, you, say you built a robot and say it has good sensors and you've placed it and the whole thing. And then two years come and then you need uh, better sensors and, and better sensors come in and you need to adapt to that. So then you need to hire a type of robot. And so from a commercial standpoint, that could be definitely challenging if you're asking consumers to robots are already expensive. And so you're asking them to buy one every few years. It's. I mean, you would do that to your laptop, maybe because um, that's something you use. But in robotics, these types of use cases are still very limited. And so it's not enough to maybe get the user to invest more in it. But yeah, so as I was saying, sorry, I'm shifting. But as I was saying, so definitely uh, the changes cannot be happening so quickly. So we cannot just say, oh, I'm just going to. Uh, you have an, an upload ready. You can update your app. That's not like that buy a new robot because it has other chips and new sensors so that that's definitely challenging on a commercial side and second is just building them to test is expensive so uh, whenever we're building let's say a new robot we have to build prototypes and these prototypes need to be iterated over and over and over again before you actually uh, put them out there and so that's also uh, that's also expensive and so and also, depending on the type of movements you want to create for the robot, uh, so for instance, legged robot, that's a whole different thing because you need to take also into account the weight of the material you're putting in and how is it exactly designed and the, the physics behind that. And so, yeah, just in robotics specifically, there's a lot of uh, hardware challenges sometimes. Um, but yeah, things definitely slower on that end but i i think that's changing already a lot um in the past few years but 
yeah, I, as I said, I, I haven't worked a lot on the side, but I do see that um, being in the industry. I um, I'd say that from a technology perspective, I'm pretty lean. Like I don't uh, keep any of those devices that uh, you can talk to. I don't keep an Alexa or I've seen like this Facebook uh, hardware that has like a video camera on it or so. I, I don't keep any of those things around the Google stuff. So like, um, like I, I'm super excited for the future of ro robotics, but I, I can't get over the data collection. And I don't know if that's like, just like an old school, maybe like ignorant way that I think. Uh, and you brought up the metaverse earlier. I was just thinking about like, uh, like in certain environments in the metaverse, uh, you know, the, they're looking at ways to integrate VR headsets. Mm. And, uh, and I just think about all the, the data collection that is going on and the way that it can be used. Um, you know, especially because there are still corporate interest on the other side of robots that are being deployed in people's homes. Do you get into discussions of like how are robots going to like impact people's homes, for example, or do you have opinions on that? Like, yeah, definitely. I think, I think, uh, I think about, I talk about it a lot and I work with people on that a lot um, as well. I, I think first of all, from a general point of view I read about it a lot you know on the media and like people tell me oh gasp did you know they collect this data and I'm like yeah I know you know like <laughs> sometimes without I do a lot of algorithms don't work and I think it's just it's in my opinion it's not really a light situation it's not bad or good um but I would say that because I kind of work in this field and so I know what data I need to collect to for what work and um but i think when i talk to other people from different uh, or or when we have um certain talks and there's a large audience i think there's a lack of understanding uh in general of this data what is it being used for why do you need this data and then how is it being stored how is it being collected and the fact that many people don't know the answer to all that also you know elicits fear in people and that's that's normal when you don't understand something you're scared of it you know you're like why do you need my data and i'm like sometimes i'm like okay calm down i don't really need uh your personal like really intense data i just need let's say the distance that you are from the robot or whether you know you did a certain hand gesture and all this is just like karen tatarian did that it's more like okay x person which the robot generates a random id for um at the moment is standing uh this much away uh, from it like estimated let's say height is this much and then this is at least the robots that I worked on we don't necessarily store this data but as the robot is interacting with that person I need this data so that it can you know know how to navigate around you and know how to interact with you um, but as I said like uh, in general of course what's happening on for social media is like uh, the the you know, the situations right now with Facebook, with the metaverse, with all types of social media, it can be quite, you know, scary if we're not careful with how we use the data for sure. Um, 
And this is why I said it's not a black and white situation. Um, but yeah, so generally for the public, I think there should be more transparency on that. Definitely understand like what is being used and why. And the fact that also um, people from other industries are coming into the conversation um, is so important because for a long time, it's just been engineers, you know, uh, working at these medias. And this is why we hear a lot of clashes and a lot of stories like, uh, um, for instance, uh, the incidents of um, the, the the Amazons, it was, it was, so Amazon had an incident also with, um, I don't know if you remember the story, it was when they uh, collected data to find like the suitable, the perfect employee. And, um, you know, obviously that ended because the data they had was extremely biased. And that's an important point to consider. Um, and then attention for lawmakers, the United Nations, um, a lot of people started being interested in the conversation. It was no longer just engineers and they're, you know, picking their data and like testing in certain places in the world and for certain people and certain genders. Um, like uh, the UN was like, okay, wait one second. Uh, is your data only male? Like, is it mostly male dominated? Because that would make it very biased, you know? Is it mostly tested in Europe or in, um, you know, the race started being involved also as well. So this is important that more people are joining in the conversation. And today we see lawmakers as well. So I've, I've actually had a lot of interesting discussions with, um, law lawyers like lawmakers that work uh for that want to design laws for technologies and that's really cool to see because we need that and and the fact that you, the you, the european union is starting to lead the conversation um is very important uh, to to make sure that we have laws that protect individuals um and for the individual to feel safe um, you know, like for me, for instance, I know in uh, because I'm in Europe, I know I'm protected by the GDPR. So I'm aware of what type of data is being collected from me personally here in Europe. And I know that, you know, like, for instance, data that gets collected in Europe is not allowed to leave Europe. Um, so that's interesting to see. And so starting the conversation uh, with uh, people outside of just in tech may help move that. And I think we're doing it, but obviously we need this and it's it's obviously not a black and white situation and I could talk about this topic forever but yeah like I would say like really I think it always comes down to this is that you want to build good technology you need good people you need people that take into account ethics because at the end of the day when I look at my data that I'm, you know, I use to train an algorithm, I need to ask myself, is my data biased? Have I represented everyone? Have I made sure I represent equal sex, equal people from races? Um, because people, you know, then if I don't do that, then then definitely that I, I would have a biased outcome. Um, and I wouldn't want to release that into the world, of course. And um, definitely this, that's why I was saying that I'm, I'm very happy to always be talking with other engineers about ethics and the fact that more and more awareness is being brought into it and i wish like i wish people knew more about it but in a non in a non-media feared way in a non like oh there's this documentary on netflix and oh like because always media is so extreme i 
all to sit down and have an actual conversation you know like neutral way of uh, talking about it and that's when you know you actually can um, design actions that are that can be taken whether on a um, governmental level whether on a corporate level whether on even a user level so how can I use these as a user like for instance how can I use it to my um, to my advantage like uh, for instance I do this a lot because I know what type of data let's say when I'm using Instagram is being used more or less so like white sneakers I wanted to buy new white sneakers and uh, I didn't know where to search and so I just started white sneakers and guess what they started coming to me and so I was like oh that's a nice design you're like I'm just scrolling and I have them and so that's just an example to say that sometimes you know uh, also on a user level knowing what's what type of data is being looked into and how you can use it and if you don't like it then just you know having the right to know that um I don't want to use this application anymore. And you, you know, you still have the right to, to, to say, oh no, I don't want this to be, uh, this type of data to be taken from me. And, but in general, I think we need to have a conversation about this, like everyone together and it's starting to happen. It really is. And then at least in Europe, as I said, again, I don't know how it is in the States right now, but um but if people are asking about it that's good because when people ask me i'm like yes okay let's let's talk about this let's let's dive into it yeah it's it is important and i think um not to get us stuck on the ethics but it seems like um even if technologies are i mean the back the back end of uh, robotics is the back end of a lot of different technologies, right? In different ways. You know, if we take the hardware element, the software back end is, you know, the same architecture in a lot of ways. You know, maybe you have to um, make sure that it can run on a local machine. Maybe it's not running in a distributed environment. Maybe it connects to the internet, you know. But so, like, um, I think sometimes the discussions around um, ethics and technology get contentious when we think of companies like like Palantir, you know, publicly traded corporation. Oh, wow, it's headquartered in Denver. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, so it's about 25 <laughs> minutes away from me. And, uh, you know, the same back end we're talking about in robotics around uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, it's, it's being applied to, like, um, aerospace and defense style applications or military decision making or operations or uh you know uh law enforcement mm -hmm. and i i think those i think those scenarios um those are the scenarios that probably scare people and then to one of your earlier points and i agree with you i think people should be able to sit down because it's not like the uh robots are this omnipotent force and like you said a lot of the data gathering is required for the robot to uh, deliver uh, the value that the product is designed to deliver right um, but I think when uh, when the technologies get appropriated for certain use cases like I mean like Twitter as a recruiting mechanism for ISIS you know, who would have thought that like a hundred and some characters and the ability to post a picture or 
a short video, you know, would become a, a place for, uh, you know, re- a terrorist organization to recruit very publicly and to get global attention. And again, this isn't robotics we're talking about, but uh, but again, like the, the software, the algorithms, the logic. Um, so do, do you think like when we think about, I, I was having this debate with a friend a couple of days ago, uh, but when we think about like the architecture, the code, it's not a gentle system, right? It's very hard edge. It's just, you know, input output, you know, maybe the nuances in the way that people write code, but uh, at the end of the day, the code is there to generate some kind of outcome. There's only so many ways that you can code or script and only so many operating systems, only so many different types of architecture. It's, you know, it's not, it's not that broad if we kind of break it down. How do you think that ethics gets inserted into that? And should we be thinking about inserting it's more ethical measures into the engineers, which which I have a little bit different opinion on, or is it something that needs to be you know wrapped around the engineers, just like you know some type of quality analyst or you know some type of testing outside of uh, you know like do you think that the engineers are the ones that are going to bring these kind of ethical elements forward, which, which obviously, as you said before, a lot of robotics is cross-disciplinary. So, I mean, are the engineers capable or the right people inside of these robotics organizations to bring ethics to the forefront? I think it's already happening. I think throughout really human history and science in general, I mean, that's the story of how the Nobel when technology wasn't used in way. And um, and so, for instance, you brought up Twitter. It's just that as this, um, as these technologies are evolving super quickly, sometimes we, sometimes the way they're designed, it's just they start interacting with people. They're being put into society, and then it just it, it escalates so quickly that um, we run into errors, we run into mistakes. But I think we've reached a point that we're more and more aware of these mistakes and we're learning from them and we're building better. And, and the fact that now um, we, you know, it's it's transparent to everyone, it's good because then you can raise awareness. Like, the, like with Facebook, um, that led them to bring feature which didn't before you know for for false news and that's also important the fact a lot we see a lot of improvements in learning and also transparency today is a is a big term that we're we're seeing that it's trending a lot when it comes to machine learning um so for instance um explainable ai is now uh gaining a lot of attention so you said um, when you said that we have robots where you have input and output. Now people are, as we're bringing in machine learning, um, a lot are saying, okay, no, wait, why did the robots come up to this decision? What happened inside? Like not always treat something as a black box. And so the fact that transparency is coming into play, the fact that we're moving towards having explainable AI, for instance, um, 
with the fact that also um, a lot of times in decision making, we're bringing in people from outside. That's also important um, as we as we move forward uh, and as we're building, you know, cooler technologies. Because I, I, I for instance, as you said, uh, having engineers that take into account ethical consideration, I think that's important in general because maybe about time we make sure that everyone gets ethical training in general of your your field um yeah so but i think uh, the as i said the the fact that now it's so interdisciplinary is really cool because i do not know how to design laws that will protect uh people i i really don't know and sometimes i'm uh, you know like as i said when i was um interacting uh when i was sorry i was collaborating with a psychologist uh, on a project that we had a lot of times as an engineer i'm just like designing the algorithm and i'm like okay i need this data i need that i need this and then um, they brought in different perspectives where they were like oh karen no you know you cannot tell the user to do that we we do not it's in our like guidelines not to do that and so i was like hmm, really i didn't know that and so i learned a lot from working with people from different industries so when i had uh, conversations with lawmakers and i saw how interested they were in it and then they have a better knowledge of how to protect people um and and the fact that more are coming into that conversations means that I don't have to also have to need to carry all the weight of that. And so there's more of a shared responsibility among everyone. Um, but definitely, I think it's really important because I think also internally, if you see something is wrong, you need to raise a flag. Um, because the only thing that maybe is a bit scary in all of this is that some things escalate so quickly and move forward so quickly and if they land in the wrong hands or if they're misused, that would be, you know, that would be dangerous for everyone. And and sometimes when you launch something and especially, as I said, like the internet, on the, things on the internet move so quickly. So sometimes once it's out there, it's really hard to, um, to correct certain mistakes. So that, I, I think that would for me be, um, be an issue. And as you said, as, uh, as we're having, more military uh, use, for instance, of robots or in general software and machine learning. That is also like, for me, I'm like, okay, why are you using it? And what is it used for? Where is it? And, and so asking these questions also is important. Um, because, you know, not too long ago, we were faced with a lot of uh, issues that had to do with bias and not having proper data. You know, like uh, I see there were a lot of issues at some point where face, facial expressions would say for, for black people, it was really hard. Like it wasn't working the same way. And then people didn't know. Some people didn't know, but there had to be an internal raising of the flag. Like why, what's happening? And then you the data and you're like, where is the data being collected? Right. And, and it does it, does it include everyone? Uh, do you have representation of it? And, all these conversations need to be, you know, done. And uh, but but we're I'm maybe I'm more optimistic than uh, because I've had interactions with I've had journalists uh, interviews with them where they're like they want to have the narrative to be pessimistic a bit, but I I don't like that. So they're always like trying to take out something negative. But I I want to believe yeah. in humans and I want to believe in humanity because I I think at the end of the day.
information I could be having in the medical field, right? So, for instance, I don't know what's happening in the medical field. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, like, what's in my medication. And I need to also trust, um, you know, that let's say other industries also takes into account uh, all these ethical issues. And, yeah, as I said, I always come back to the to the conclusion that it's more of a, you know, you want to have good technologies, you need good humans behind them as well. Yeah, no, I see that. And I think, um, like, I'm always going to be pessimistic about technology, but I do know that these technological advancements are necessary, and there's a lot of benefits to be uh, gained by society at large. I have one more question, and then we'll wrap this up. Is there a certain part of the world or a certain robotics community that um, you think is the most fun to learn from or work with? And, and then I guess just on a basic level with what you're doing at SoftBank, are you coming into contact with people that are mostly in France that are working on robotics? Uh, or how does that set up? Yeah, so, no, I actually work... Uh with a lot of international people. So I work a lot with American researchers and scientists as well as Japanese and Chinese and you know from all over Europe. And what's interesting is that each have a different perspective sometimes uh, looking at certain problem. And even in academia, you can see the type of research, how is it being focused on. Um, and that's interesting for me a lot. Um, I see like, uh, in 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 Europe, uh, there's been a lot of focus for robots on. So, for instance, the European culture is more accepting robots than, let's say, the American. And the most is definitely in Asia. So, Asian um, researchers and cultures in general, they're far more um, accepting to robots. So, if you go to Japan, you'll see a lot of cool robots and. Um, that you see less of it, let's say, in the States, where um, we see more focus on, you know, uh, problem-solving type of uh, robotics approach. So less, less so, even though the first social robots actually came from there and um, from uh, the MIT Media Lab. So, th so that's interesting. But, uh, yes, I would say, uh, for me, last point, because I know we want to wrap it up, I've seen a lot of, also in, in Japan, um, really research going on into understanding, you know, how babies actually learn from the world and try to have that mathematically modeled and then put into a robot. And I thought that was really interesting and because we're learning more about humans as we learn about robots. So as we're designing better robots, uh, we, we come back to getting inspired from human intelligence. Um, to do that and I think that's that's pretty cool but then again that has this is how it's been from the beginning from the from since we started designing artificial intelligence and since it was first divine we've always looked into human intelligence for inspiration and the same is happening in robotics and that's cool because we're learning more about ourselves and uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I really believe we'll have uh, robot companions for humans working for humans and with humans. So fascinating. I hope I hope we get to do a part two of this conversation. Can you? Yeah, um, definitely. Just for my, uh, I hate calling them my, but just for our friends that are listening right now, 
what's the best place to find you like on social or like how do people get more information on kind of what you're working on and kind of uh start to follow your journey yeah definitely so uh, i like to connect on linkedin i uh, i usually am quite active on there and as well as twitter um i because for twitter i was like okay i'm gonna make it more of a um you know, only talking about robots, but you'll get some tweets here and there about just me <laughs> ranting about the word <laughs> as the title of this uh, <laughs> of this podcast. But yeah, definitely on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, you'll see me there. I'm quite active on that, and I have some really cool projects coming up. So you can share. Uh. So yeah, speaking of interdisciplinary work, I, I don't think I can share exactly who the client is, but like for instance, for this week, it's Paris Fashion Week. And usually, obviously, as a, I mean, I do live in Paris, but I mean, I work as, I'm a robotics engineer, so rarely does that matter in my life. But this time we actually, I got to work with uh, fashion designers for an upcoming show this week and where they wanted to bring in robots. So this is gonna be cool. So I, I'm looking forward to see how the crowd is gonna react. That's exciting, okay. Well, um, everyone follow Karen. And then um, uh, Karen, this has been really cool. It's amazing to have this conversation with you. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I always enjoy Thank the conversations with you, definitely. Thank you, so fun. <laughs>